listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, yeah, Bill Maher is becoming one of my favorite conservatives. He and I disagree on the size and scope of government and a lot of other things. But when I watch his Friday night show, he's regularly saying what I'm thinking about a number of topics. And on this one, it had more to do with the way we're spending money in the economy. And looking at the economic factors right now, it feels like we're back in that headspace that we'll never run out of cash as long as the Fed doesn't run out of ink. I'm just saying, if we're going to do a new Roaring Twenties, let's do it this time without the two things that made the last one suck. Prohibition and a depression at the end of it. I am no money expert. I only turn on Jim Cramer to scare away the birds. But it does seem like the market is a little divorced from reality these days. It's odd that the real economy has been full of news of unemployment, bankruptcies, and going out of business signs since COVID hit. And yet the S&P is up 76% in that time. It can't go on forever. We can't all win. It's not the ticket machine at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> a share of GameStop isn't really worth more than a share of Toyota. To bail ourselves out of that depression, we spent over 10 years, over 10 years, 6% of our gross national product. To get out of COVID, we spent in one year 26%. The way we're handing out money, you would think it had an expiration date on it. In 2008, when the global economy was on the edge of collapse, Congress passed what was considered a massive bailout of $700 billion. So massive, over 100 protests broke out across the country. The Occupy Wall Street movement was born. Now, the word billion is so last decade. <laughs> Congress has passed $6 trillion to fight the war on COVID. $2 trillion more than we spent to win World War II. You know... The big one, four years of desperate fighting against a murderer's row of bad guys all over the world and under it. Not to mention this thing was kind of expensive to make. The bomb. All that. In today's dollars, four trillion. This, six trillion. Picture of a slacker on the couch. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Neither does anybody else. But man, there's just we're doing all kinds of unprecedented things. That's the stuff that worries me the most. Is the economists that say, you know, nobody's ever tried this before. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think it's too late. I'm half encouraged by the fact that even the Wapo was writing about this. Tony Rom, R O M M. I don't know his act, uh, but he he wrote a piece in the Wapo. Uh, the headline is Biden to unveil major new spending plans as Democrats eye bigger role for government. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a pretty frank piece about the tr- mind-boggling amounts of money being spent and how the Democrats, what's the line I liked, as well as the public's willingness to embrace the sizable tax increases on wealthy families and profitable companies that may be necessary to help finance the burst in federal spending. But you've got the spending and some of those stats that Bill Maher had there are just amazing um, You know, compared to other crises throughout history, including World War II. It's just absolutely amazing. 
But then you get, you know, you got all these unknowables that have never happened before. The number of people that are involved in the market that aren't professionals, um, and the way that's affecting everything, the way investing happens with the whole, you know, uh, computers investing a million shares a half a second and all that sort of stuff, all those things that are new. Who knows how that's going to turn out? Like Bill Maher said, and it's absolutely true. It's just part of life. Everybody can't win, and it doesn't last forever. It, and, but but, but we're, we've been pretending like it is that way for quite some time when it comes to the stock market. And the interest rates are already so low, we no longer have that as a tool if the economy were to sputter or falter or whatever. So, yeah, that's an experiment. I like this note we got from frequent and insightful correspondent Amani. Talking about our previous discussions of this, uh, the, another four trillion in spending. It's almost like we're wandering through a dense fog with very little visibility, and we know there's an edge of a cliff out there somewhere. Instead of using extreme caution and carefully feeling our way through it, we're sprinting, sprinting, blindly running full speed, hoping things work out. And no one knows how this will end. Many Americans think this is scary, but I'm sure China's kicking back, grinning ear to ear, watching the show as they snack on a bucket of popcorn. We might be heading toward the point of no return. We don't know. Nobody knows. Are we, the the people that are okay with this, believe that we're such a giant, powerful economy, and uh, you know everything's so good in terms of our growth that we can just absorb it? It's like if you're spending recklessly, but you got a really good income, you can cover it up. You can you can absorb it. Yeah, yeah. Well, experience has taught me, both in you know real life and politically speaking, that there is always an unknowable twist out there. You, you think you have all the facts, but you don't. Something is going to happen that fundamentally alters the trajectory of this of, of what you think is going to happen. And it's almost never like so great everything is perfect. What do you it's do? usually an impediment. What do you do if you have a world war on top of this? And you're already in this position or or another pandemic or whatever. If we had another pandemic it was worse, which is not impossible. What are we going to how many how many trillion dollars are we going to spend then? Some and, sort of tech driven perhaps uh, evil agent uh, driven collapse of the banking system. Right. I don't know. Well, you know, yeah, the possibility yeah. of things falling apart has always exist, but it seems like we're just, well, if you've ever been on the edge financially, and luckily I haven't been for many, many years, but if you're walking along the edge, it only takes, you know, your car breaking down to push you into some really bad territory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to, I hate to use the incredibly worn out metaphor, but it's like we're intentionally spending every single buck in our credit limit. On our credit cards. Every single credit card is at the limit. And if we get any money, we immediately spend that to make sure we're still at the limit. And then thinking, yeah, but things are good. We'll be fine. I don't know. What's, uh. Oh, and his stuff about the Roaring Twenties was kind of interesting, the setup to that. Uh, cause I've, I've heard that term uh, a lot in the recent week about, you know, this could be another Roaring Twenties. Cause the previous Roaring Twenties from the 1920s was also coming out of a pandemic and world war one and uh and and you know all kinds of sexual mores and partying and uh wildlife spending i need to do this and that uh, became popular and are we about to head into that now or are we already are already there certainly the spending part we haven't come out of the pandemic enough for people to 
run out into the streets and, you know, group orgies or whatever's going to happen. I don't know what the Roaring Twenties are going to look like this time around. You know, uh, what I was starting to say earlier was that uh, politicians have figured out they're never called to uh, account for what they've done. They're they're never forced to take responsibility after they've lost left office. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. I was uh, listening to some rock and roll the other day, and uh, the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again came on. Some of the best lyrics ever written. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. One of my favorite phrases ever. Really, the entire lyric is great. It it got brutally overplayed in the 70s and 80s to the point that I never wanted to hear it again, but now I do want to hear it again because it's brilliant. And Roger Daltrey has uh, not one but two of the greatest screams in rock and roll history, and I was listening to that and realized I never had the balls to write a song that included a scream like that. <laughs> um, do they write that on the li- Like, if I look at the lyric sheet, will it just, ah! Like, do, do they put that in the lyrics of the song, or is it just Maybe something Maybe it just that- says, yeah. Although this is the kind of thing you work out in the studio, really. We yeah. need something here. Uh, but yeah, cause I can do a pretty good rock and roll scream, but never. Of course, my, my band is kind of more alt country than the who, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, Sean, you had a, uh, a, a fabulous, hilarious party question before we get into the bulk of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. This was, uh, tweeted by stand up comedian Jessime Peluso. Hilarious. Uh, she asks all of her followers, if your genitals had a famous voice, who would it be? And she claimed that hers would be Angela Lansbury. Oh, that's sophisticated. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> sophisticated knob. You ever seen uh, Angela Lansbury when she was, like, first a movie star? Knock out. She's melt-your-face beautiful. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Stunning. Like, is that a real human being? Almost like one of those Disney uh, cartoon princesses where they're just too pretty. It's ridiculous. Smoking, she wrote. Oh, yeah. Hat. Anyway. Uh, Dro- okay, Droopy so if- the dog. all right hi gills you don't you don't want to again (laughs) i understand i won't i won't dignify this question i will mine would be frank caliendo doing john madden wow yeah and i feel like that could also give me because now i got caliendo so i can pivot to all sorts of different impressions the one with a comedy routine yeah that humor is sexy that reminds me of what were those guys that we had in are you gonna, studio. You going to talk about the the puppets, puppetry the, of the, the penis? All oh, right, jeez. Yeah, Did they, you ever see them? They they were uh, yes, they were quite the thing in my early radio career. They uh, you were in not person? the only show that interviewed yeah. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I puppetry didn't try of the penis. God, we couldn't <laughs> oh, do that right. now. They were Australian Aussies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we couldn't no. do that now, could we? They nope. they they did their thing. He he would he contorts himself into various things. The yeah. Eiffel Tower, the sailboat, <laughs> hamburger, baby bird. Oh, that's right. Oh, you remember? Terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. And, oh, and he did God. it in the so studio. Disturbing. And they put like, uh, well, we you know we don't want to offend anybody, so we like put a curtain over the glass, and only coworkers, women who wanted to see it, came over and watched, and those who didn't want to see it didn't have to see it. Which I actually think is perfectly reasonable. Sure, but of course, that's perfectly reasonable. Do you want to see a guy's penis? No, then don't come over here. If you do, then look the other way. Um, right. But uh, yeah. but now you couldn't do that at all. Canceled. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the School of Rock reference was uh, Dave Grohl, I guess. Somebody I, asked I, him. I don't like the tone of voice I used there. Maybe we should edit a different tone of voice. Because I, mean, I sounded like I'm really disappointed in America 
<laughs> that comedians can't go around contorting their penises into shapes a for workplaces anymore. Right. No, we're leaving that in. The tone was the tone was fine. <laughs> I act like that's Jack a real wishes there was more visible penis in American workplaces. No, but I can't use the Just same. Say it. I can't use the same tone of voice that I use for the schools shouldn't be closed. <laughs> For, and men can no longer contort their junk. What's into, happening to America? Exactly. <laughs> I thought this was America. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Fair enough. So somebody apparently asked Dave Grohl uh, what three albums he would choose if he was doing a music class. I happened to see uh, a chunk of the School Rock the other day, the uh, Jack Black movie. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen the whole thing for the, the usual reason. I had a house full of babies when it was a big hit, but... um. Uh, it's charming. It's utterly charming. It's a good movie. I can see why people like it. They've done some uh, reunion concerts with the kids and Jack Black again and stuff, too. It's, oh, it's uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, go ahead. Let's roll Dave Girl. You're going to want to get the Beatles' Sgt. Peppers. One reason is because that album still connects the way it did the day it came out. Now, if you want to be a drummer, you're going to want to get the ACDC album, Back in Black. That is like, that is rock and roll drumming 101. A third album, I do like to dance. Let's just go with Saturday Night Fever. Like, look, if you put Saturday Night Fever on, it's gonna feel like Saturday night. It could be a Monday morning. So uh, I would have to go with those three albums. Wow, that's kind of funny. Yeah, I would love to teach some sort of worthless two-credit college class about uh, music, rock music. Not any more worthless Styles than the, music. I took a rock and roll history class in college. It was just a complete waste of time. The guy, mm. he was an old hippie. He, you know, his his teenage years were the '60s, and he just acted like everything the Beatles and Bob Dylan did was, um, the apex. Well, no, it was just he took it way too seriously. Changed I, I like, the world. Yeah, changed the world. Yeah. I like talking about music. I like music, but sure. let's not pretend that we, you know, we cured cancer here with various right. songs. Sure. Yeah, the world seemed to do a pretty good job changing in the 19-teens, for instance. Yeah. 1936, there were a fair number of changes, and Bob Dylan wasn't there. Hey, The world uh, just changes. Have you ever heard the Phil Collins-George Harrison story? I just read it yesterday for the first time. Are you aware of that? I don't think so. I couldn't I tell. I actually thought, I thought, is this like the story Joe said? Yeah, I heard that 40 years ago, or... So Phil Collins, when he was 19 years old, played bongos or little drums on a George Harrison song. George Harrison, one of the Beatles, when he when he his first solo album, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and uh, so a night and in and a 19 year old Phil Collins got invited to play, I think bongos on one of the songs, and 19. Jeez. And when the album came out, Phil Collins, who was a nobody, uh, heard it and the bongos weren't on there. And he just ah oh, crap, you know they didn't use my, they didn't use my stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about it. Then he ends up being a big giant star and meets George Harrison many 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 years later, like forty years later or something like that. Um, and oh, it couldn't have been that long ago because George Harrison been a while. But anyway, it was decades later. Uh, he meets George Harrison. He says, "Hey, I know this is, sounds crazy, but I got to ask you. When I was nineteen years old, I." participated in the this song and I played the bongos and they never made the cut and I don't know what he said and George Harrison said, Man, I got all the master tapes. Um I could probably figure it out for you if you really want to hear it. Um, wow. or whatever. And <laughs> and Phil Collins said that'd be pretty cool. So a while later he gets in the mail, he gets the master tapes of the recording session of this song. And and he puts it on and he listens to it. And at the end it kind of it's kind of st- 
stops at one point, and then George Harrison says, hey, what is that noise? What is going on over there? And they said, oh, that's the bongo thing. He said, God, get rid of that. Whatever that is, that is terrible. <laughs> um, so Phil Collins calls George Harrison back and says, thanks for saying it. He said, this is kind of funny. I don't know. Did you listen to that before you sent me? And George Harrison, no, no, I don't know. Um, he said, well, you actually are on there saying it's terrible. <laughs> and then George Harrison lets him know that he brought in a band, re-recorded the song, like, the day before, and made all this up. He put in oh, some bongos. Oh, it was all And then says, what are those bongos? That's terrible. <laughs> he just said, I don't have any master tapes of that stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? That is great. He went to all the work to re-record one of his famous just songs. Just a dick with Phil like Collins. cover band just to pull one over on Phil Collins. I need to <laughs> drastically readjust my favorite Beatles rankings. That is a hilarious yeah. joke. That's oh my great. God. That would take oh. a tremendous amount of effort unless you're a gazillionaire with a recording studio I'm and lots sure. of musician oh. friends. But how funny is that? And the ability to <laughs> replicate, you know, an incredible recording session, too, more or less. <laughs> Those bongos suck. <laughs> That's freaking hilarious. I know it. That's one of the funniest pranks I've ever heard. Wow. That's great. Armstrong and Getty. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show. I don't think that's a saying. What's the uh, red skies? Red skies at dawn, sailors get it on? Red that can't skies be it. I mean, it probably sailor. that's probably the way it happened all the time. <laughs> oh, right. You're out at sea for months, you know? It's like being in prison. You get a free pass. Were you here? on The Soprano. Were you here the other day when we were talking about they found the bones of the world's most famous pirate? No. I don't think so. What I was the name the of that pirate bones. Here's the most interesting part. It's the world's most famous pirate, and nobody had ever heard of him. What was the pirate's name? It was like... Bo- Bearded Bob or something like that. Bearded Bob. Something the Black? Was something. it? Hold on. I'll, I'll find it. Anyway. Jean Lafitte. Um, uh, this pirate had stolen the equivalent, modern equivalent of $120 million, which is a lot. <laughs> Captain That's Samuel Bellamy, known as Black Sam. Black Sam! Wow. I thought, you can't in one sentence say the world's most famous pirate, then give a name nobody's ever heard before. But, that um, is a bit of a disconnect, yes. Yeah. But anyway, they found his boat and consequent, uh, you know, leading to his bones, uh, had sunk 300 years ago when he was 26 years old or something like that. And wow. um, and now they've got his bones. So there you go. <laughs> well, so there who's go. laughing now, Mr. Pirate Man? <laughs> we got your bones. As my kid said, what are they going to do with his bones? Put them in a museum or? Oh, I suppose. You know what? That would be kind of cool with sure. a whole display of, uh, you know, his, his maraudings and his thievings and a picture of what his ship looked like. And then you got his bones. And we got into you gotta a conversation. pay an extra buck ahead to see the bones. <laughs> I got in conversation about how the, you know, the whole jolly, fun pirate thing when they're really just raping, marauding thieves that you would happily kill yourself if you caught them. Right. Horrible right. human beings. It's like you see some of those criminal gangs uh, these days uh, marauding through a store and stealing everything or beating down old people yeah, or exactly. whatever. Uh, yeah, they were worse than that. They were a hundred times worse than that. So they, but, they, but they knew when they were traveling as pirates that if you saw a red sky at morning. Sailor take warning. Or something like that. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
had to anyway, do with where yeah. the high pressure systems were in the atmosphere compared to your travels. All right. You served on the poop deck, didn't you? <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. Get, when do I get promoted off the poop deck, Captain? <laughs> when yeah, you earn we'll it. Let you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks for your application. We've got it on file. <laughs> so I, I bring that up because Judy and I made this epic road trip uh, to the East Coast to see our kid. And drop off a bunch of stuff as she starts her adult life, among other things, seeing friends. And uh, but I picture we, you driving an old timey truck like they did in Grapes of Wrath. Oh yeah, yep, flatbed, mm-hmm. the uh, rail sides. Exactly. No, no, uh, it was my SUV. But uh, we we took a look at the w- different routes because we were aware of the horrendous like ice storm that paralyzed um, uh, Dallas Fort Worth and caused that hundred and five car pileup or oh, whatever yeah. it is with with five six people dead. I mean, just a nightmare. Hundred cars. And so we thought, okay, we see where the weather is, blah, blah, blah. We're going to, we're going to go a little north of that and we'll miss it, et cetera. But, and, and this is, you know, I, I'm a, a planner. I like to rehearse things. I like to figure out what we're going to do and where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. Um, and I had made a fundamental miscalculation on a couple of things. Number one, I had not real, I, I looked at, um, the route we were going. I didn't look at elevation. And we ended up going, I went down to Phoenix, uh, we went down to Phoenix to see my mom and dad, because uh, again, my mom is uh, nearing the end of her battle with Parkinson's, and just every chance I get to see her is, is wonderful. But um, So then we went from there through New Mexico, and I didn't realize like the entirety of New Mexico, at least along the route we took, is it five six seven thousand feet of elevation yeah it's a mountains and snow and whatnot yeah yeah although even the flat parts that are like six thousand feet of elevation just you know the way it is so it was cold and the high snowy. plains they call them because they're high mm-hmm. um but it was miserable weather terrible fog and snow and high winds for like a couple hours as i'm driving white knuckled but, you know, we, we came through that and then uh, hit, uh, gosh, Oklahoma and Texas got a little better. And But then we had to stop for the night finally in Arkansas, in beautiful Van Buren, Arkansas, right outside Fort Smith, Arkansas, mentioned prominently in Steve Earle's classic Tom Ames Prayer. Download it. Listen to it. Um, but it was bitterly freaking cold. I mean, it was wind chills below zero. And we're looking at the weather map and we realize the the killer storm, this one, that's affecting all over America and, and, and drenched, uh, covered Austin in snow and, and Texas is the coldest it's been, most snow in Houston in 55 years, the rest of it. Um, we realized it was bearing down on us and we would be about an hour ahead of it if we got up at 5 a.m. and were hauling ass east at 6 a.m. So that's what we did. And, and we had, I should have mentioned, we had Baxter with us. It's our first epic dog included road trip. And so we, uh, we literally got up. We were doing 85 miles per hour, uh, south to southeast, just ahead of this storm as they're closing highways behind us. It was, uh, chilling, literally and figuratively. Felt like being in an action movie. So if something had happened, which, who's, which companions are eating who? Oh boy. You get strained. I'm, I'm physically the largest. Baxter has sharp teeth. (laughs) I think Judy has the wiles of the woman. I think Baxter. She gives you a come-hither look and then bashes you in the head with a rock and eats you. That would have worked. <laughs> Honey, I know it's the eight below zero outside, and the car is stranded, and we're panic-stricken, but would you like to have sex? And I just said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Schmack! <laughs> I think I think, that, I think Backstreet's you both if you get stranded somewhere. I think that's what happens. 
Oh, no. He's a good boy. He wouldn't do that. But it, it ended up being fine. But, man, there was some white-knuckle driving. Then it rained like crazy the last, like, three hours as we were nearing the East Coast. And what did you learn about America? It's super big. Mm-hmm. It's 90% empty. True that. Now, granted, they don't run the interstate highways through towns, which is a shame mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, uh, route, uh, uh, Interstate 40, which we were on for a long time, is like intermingled with it replaced Route 66, the legendary uh, from song and story Route 66. <clears throat> and, you know, you can get places really fast now on the interstate highways, but it used to be when you traveled from coast to coast or even a significant length of time, you would go through a bunch of little towns, each of which had different stores with different names, different restaurants, you know, different local culture and the rest of it, and you could really feel the country. Isn't that kind of the the plot of Cars 2, where the yep. Route 66 got replaced by something else and all the businesses along there were... There? Radiator Springs got uh, cut yeah. off so people could save six minutes going by on the interstate. Yeah, well, I didn't see that movie because I'm not a child. All the businesses closed. I loved the first Cars movie. Loved it. Uh, I don't. I may have seen Cars 2, come to think of it. That sounds kind of familiar. Did it feature one of those funky hotels where you where you sleep in a wigwam instead of a fantastic like a hotel room? Need yeah. more of those. Charming, yeah. <laughs> Although that's that's probably racist, right, or cultural appropriation, or something like that. Were there unusual flags or anything that you saw along certain oh, states? Oh, well, you know there were. I, I texted it to you, fellows. Uh, once you hit the south, the southeast, south southeast, uh, there are a hell of a lot of Confederate flags. Really, one was one was on a not just I one, think, not just two, but. Common no, there were quite a few. Okay, and there were places to buy them. Uh, yeah, any any convenience store you'll have any your your selection of various stickers and well, I such. I knew that was true a few years ago, but I wouldn't have known that it was still true today. I mean, a lot has changed in like just the last two years. Yeah, yeah. On that, front. there was there was one dude who lived pretty close to the interstate who. Let's see, I want to get this right. I mean, Dukes, have, of, Dukes of Hazard was the number one show in America. Every kid had a toy General Lee car or a Dukes of Hazzard t-shirt. Now it's not even allowed to be on the air in reruns. That's how much has changed in just a couple of years on the Confederate flag front. But this one dude had a 50-foot flagpole. I'm not kidding. It was like baseball stadium high, and the only thing up there was the Confederate battle flag in his backyard. you got to be a racist, right? Mm, Or at least they're friends with some. Well, why would you? you, why, you I, Southern pride, son. Pr- Southern pride. Maybe. The war of northern aggression. The colonel. Colonel. What'd colonel you, Lingus. <laughs> what'd you eat? Oh, too much pizza, and I love pizza. I've often said I could eat pizza five days a week, but we would just get to the end of the day, be super tired. We really didn't want to leave Baxter alone in the hotel room, and so, you know, I'd run out. If if they didn't deliver it, I'd run out and get some. And, We'd have pizza and a little bit of wine. Had enough room in the car for wine, naturally. Have you guys been been uh, getting hit with the Detroit-style pizza craze that seems to be uh, sweeping know, the nation? I do not know what Detroit-style pizza is. Uh, Talk to me. I, I didn't either, but it's apparently, so it's it's rectangle pizza, right? What? Yeah, so it's Detroit-style pizza, rectangular pizza with thick pizza crust. Pizza is not rectangle! It is in Detroit, Unless you're in apparently. a school lunchroom. And now by Detroit-style pizza, that just means that if you go to somewhere else and and they have it, you get all Detroit-style pizza. I I didn't know this existed until like two weeks ago, and now I see it all the time in various people talking about, I finally tried Detroit-style pizza. Well, okay, what's different about it other than being rectangle? I think that's it. 
I think it's like okay. a, it's well, like a Chicago deep dish, but but rectangle. That's, that's I guess not, you're not bringing me much here. That's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. It's a, th- a thicker crust that is crispy and chewy. That just sounds like pizza to me. Or thick crust pizza. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Did Detroit just the the whole car thing wasn't working out for them, so they decided to invent a fake style of pizza. <laughs> uh, Detroit style pizza. Detroit. With a, oh, a thick focaccia like crust. Okay. Well, there it's got a different kind of crust. Yeah. So maybe that's the the big difference. That ain't much of a difference. No, just call it pizza. Not, not everybody's pizza needs to be unique. So getting back to what I learned traveling across the country, uh, gas is way cheaper everywhere than Cal Unicorn, mm-hmm. which is partly for environmental reasons. Um, uh, or most of the nation is empty. There are some states where drivers are much more courteous. They get the hell out of the left lane. Really? The left lane is for plas- passing, yeah. Uh Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. In fact, they have road signs every freaking mile. State law. All traffic stays right except the pass. State law. Do not impede the left lane. Um, I wonder if that's a either they enforce it or they teach it in driver's ed. Maybe they don't other places. I get the yeah, sense that a lot of people are completely unaware of that. Yes. Both lanes yeah. are exactly the same. It's just whichever one you choose to be in. Yeah. Well, and where we live in uh, in northern Calunicornia, also the right lane is where the trucks always are on the interstate, and especially as you get up into the hills, those lanes get torn up in the wintertime with the mm. snow and everything and the chains on the trucks. And so everybody gets in the habit of being in the left lane all the time because if you don't, it'll shake the fillings out of your teeth. And so it's like drive left, pass right. So I understand people getting used to that there, but it was really kind of cool. It, it was like in Germany, for instance. Uh, on the autobahn, if you get uh, if you pass on the right, it's a huge fine. The Germans really enforce the slowest traffic right, you know, uh, medium traffic uh, in the middle lane, perhaps, but just the left lanes for passing. Period. Uh, Do you see anything? Do you see any coonskin caps or armadillos crossing the road? Or uh... a lot of dead beasts uh, by the side of the road. Hey, uh, did you stop at any stores? Did Was everybody wearing masks, or were people just without there masks? There you go. COVID compliance. Nationwide. How it changes across America. Joe Getty has a report. Joe? Nationwide, everybody was wearing a mask. I hardly saw anybody not in a mask. Interesting. Yeah, everywhere. Young, old, you know, in all regions of the country. Yeah, that's a good question, but it was, it was really uniform. Uh, I'm trying to think what else of note. Uh, Baxter got, uh, we got special medicine for Baxter. Uh, anti-anxiety, so motion sickness. So he wouldn't eat you. And then <laughs> a sedative. Exactly. Hey, hey, look, it's a little piece of ham. I think you should have this ham. Why don't you, why don't you eat this ham? And then, boom, he's drugged. Uh, but better living through pharmaceuticals. Kept him mellow in the hotel rooms. What I was terrified of, because he's, he's half black lab and he's half border collie. And one border collie thing is that they're super protective of their herd, of, of their, their, their pack, as it were. And so he is the best bark-to-warn dog in the world. Anybody uh, knocks on our door, approaches our house, is out in the front yard, I know it, which is nice. And when I'm traveling, which we do, uh, well, we used to before COVID, to visit all our beloved stations, um, Judy would have a, a great watchdog. But you don't want that in a hotel room where some guy's out in the hall talking to his wife. Uh, yeah, I'll check out the kids. Up here. Mm. You, you don't want that. So we... Uh, we Baxter Baxter spent a lot of the trip like I spent a lot of college, <laughs> just a little bit stoned. 
put headphones on him and he just oh yeah made a, a playlist Floyd. for him a lot of snoop <laughs> exactly. dog a lot of who let the dogs out sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly black dog by zeppelin that's his favorite song he plays it over and over again armstrong and getty Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. You tried to speak German for a I while. I studied the language in... for six years of high school and college. Really? Wow, that's I quite did. an effort. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought I was going to be like a, uh, a international business lawyer, and I wanted to live in Germany. Okay. And I abandoned that idea. Apparently. <laughs> did you ever get to the point? Why does it sound so aggressive? Every, the, 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 the words just insult. So oh, hard. Yeah. Come for the barking, stay for the <laughs> sounds, and uh, that's terrible. So this is, uh, I believe him to be a German social media presence of some sort. He tends to just kind of offer his German perspective on on various things. And uh, this uh, this video of him uh, describing baseball after having watched a game came across my timeline, and I, I figured uh, you gents might enjoy it. So here we go. Watching now a little bit your baseball here in America. This game is the most confused game of that I'm knowing. Now, I'm assuming he's German. Is that the German accent? Yeah. Okay. okay. This is the most confused game that I'm knowing. It's it's an aspect of German. The verbs go at the end of the sentence. It's weird. This game is the most confused game of that I'm knowing. Oh, okay. We have some some pillows. We have some pillows on the dirt. And then we have some grass. And then we have... People just stand all around to make a grabbing of the, of the downstairs, grab of crouch, look around, look around. Did then he, men with grabbing stick, of crouch? Grabbing of the downstairs, the crouch. <laughs> make a grabbing of the, of the downstairs, grab of crouch, look around, look around. Then men with stick is there. And then men look at stick man and look at man with glove and he make like this. Or. He's uh, shaking off the signs. Yes. For like, I don't like one minute with a man who... Still shaking him off. And then, then he, boom, he throw, throw a ball to the stick man. <laughs> and the stick man may hit if he make a miss of three times, then out. But if four times the, the, uh, the throw is bad, boom, then he may walk to a pillow. <laughs> or if he make a hit of ball and it go to the side of the paints, then it is uh, more, more hits and hits and hits. But if he, hit- I believe that was him describing foul balls. If he hits oh. a ball and it's outside of the paint, oh, okay. Okay. or if he make a hit of ball and it go to the side of the paints, mm. then yes. it is a more more hits and hits and hits. <laughs> but if he hit a ball very far, then he may run on all the pillows around the pillows, <laughs> and sometimes someone is stealing the pillows, and sometimes a man is. If you hit a man with a ball, then he may run to the pillows. And many people, they, and the boys, the boys, the boys in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, trench, they sit in the trench. I believe, uh, the dugout, I think the he's referring to, yeah. <laughs> yes. Trench, okay. And play. many people, I'm sure it's they, a and trench the boys, the boys, the boys in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, trench, they sit in the trench and they look around and they, <laughs> they spit, they spit, spit, spit in the head. And then clap, clap, and spit, spit, and then they run. Then they run to the field, and then they make a trade in nine times. But 
time out on the seven after seven times of run on field everyone <laughs> sings a song about popcorn <laughs> and that is that gentleman's uh, description of baseball you after the, watching the, the game the hitting of the ball and you run to the pillow <laughs> Every that reminds time. me we haven't heard from Dirk Z angry German lately at least not that I've noticed if I've missed your uh, emails Dirk uh, uh, apologies that's pretty funny Base- baseball is fairly confusing if you've got, you know, some idea of what's going on. I can't imagine starting from scratch. Well, it'd be like when I look at cricket. I haven't got the slightest idea what they're doing. Right. You can see the guys trying to hit the, the ball, yeah. but then what? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear that German guy describe the uh, infield fly roll. <laughs> I am absolutely going to refer to baseball bases as pillows from now on. <laughs> that, that delighted me. Do yeah. the hitting of the ball. Mitta. <laughs> On try uh, or the dry men on the pillows. If the ball goes high but short, and the man with the leather glove comes and well, he, um, never mind, <laughs> and nobody cares. <laughs> then after seven times trading sides, you sing song about popcorn. <laughs> You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show.